This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is House Agriculture Chairman Colin Peterson. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Chairman Colin Peterson next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. Their plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy, and you can learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. House Agriculture Chairman Colin Peterson believes the industry is headed for some seriously tough sledding. He's not sure the 2018 Farm Bill safety net will be enough to adequately protect the industry. Peterson says weather and trade are pressuring farmers, and so is the EPA's handling of the RFS program. He wants clarity on how small refinery waivers are being granted. They won't tell us why they're doing what they're doing and how they're coming up with these waivers, I mean, how what it is that uh, they're using to justify this. They made a big deal about, uh, you know, allowing E15 to be sold year-round, but when you factor in the waivers, we've actually gone backwards. You know, we haven't uh, gained anything. We've actually lost, you know, and, and as I said, the troubling thing is we can't find out who they're giving these waivers to or why, and we don't see that it's justified. We have plants that are having trouble you know, staying staying afloat. We have some that have closed down. We have some that have gone out of business uh, uh, because this, you know, we were making really good progress with the RFS and we were uh, increasing demand for ethanol until this waiver thing came along uh, in uh, basically 16 when it started going the the other direction. And uh, I don't know what the EPA is up to. I don't believe it's justified and uh, I wish we could get to the bottom of how they you know, decided to do this and what the rationale is. Is there a place here where the laws and the regulations collide because there should be 15 billion gallons blended according to the law, but then there's also in the law slash regulations that say these waivers may be granted. And Administrator Wheeler told me that that, uh, he's being sued because he did and he's being sued because he didn't grant the waivers. (laughs) In order for them to... uh do the waivers, it's, what is the language? It's something about uh, extreme, uh, disproportionate economic hardship is what it says in order for them to give these waivers. Well, what does that mean? And how do they determine what is disproportionate economic hardship? You know, and why did they go from a situation where they were granting back in 15, they, <clears throat> there were seven waivers granted and six denied, and, you know, in 17, there was 35 granted and one tonight. And what was the reason for that? You know, I, we don't see any justification. In 2017, 1.8 billion gallons granted in waivers, and 18 now 1.43 billion granted in waivers. Neither one of those subtracted from 15 come back up to 15. The question is, why can't there be reallocation? Well, there could be, I think, if they wanted to do it. I don't think there's anything that's... Uh, uh, stopping them from doing that. I think they're trying to have it both ways, Jeff. I think that's really what's going on here. That 
president says that uh, he's 100% behind the farmers, he loves the farmers, and he's taking care of them, uh, you know, by giving them E15 and year-round and all this stuff. And, and then on the other hand, uh, the UPA is doing this, and uh, he kind of acts like he doesn't have any control over that. So <laughs> I don't know. Is this EPA, in your opinion, fulfilling the letter of the law of the energy program? No. No, I think they're going way outside of the law. And that's like I say, I would like to see their justification of what they think uh, is going on here that justifies them to give these waivers. What is the disproportionate economic hardship? I don't see it. I don't see, you know, I'm talking to some of these oil companies, some of them want the waivers, and some of them really don't care about it. So where is the disproportionate economic hardship? I don't get it. And I, it would be very helpful if, we, if they would put the cards on the table, say, this is who we gave them to, this is why we gave them out, this is the reasoning behind it, and then we'd have some better idea where this thing is, hand, is uh, heading. But when you can't find out what's going on, you know, and nobody has any idea what, how to read this. You know? Are these waived gallons... What sort of an economic hardship does it put on the ethanol industry for these gallons that have been waived? Well, it's, there's a lot of moving parts in there. you got the rim situation. That might be what's driving this thing, that uh, they the rent prices were too high in, uh, according to the uh, oil industry, so they uh, part of what they're doing here uh, destroys the price of rims, which is uh, maybe what they were trying to do. But it's hard to get a handle on this other than to say that I visit with my ethanol plants that have been around for a while, and right now they're not making any money. You know, they're basically hanging on. And if we were at 15 billion gallons for conventional, which we should be, you know, and then and the advance on top of that, the amount of money going into these plants would be significantly better than what it is. And that's what we need. But how we get there, I'm not sure. It's almost a one-two punch for some producers because not only are they corn farmers that are raising the raw product to turn to ethanol, but many of them are invested in and own a portion of the ethanol plants. They're getting hit both ways. Absolutely, and that's one of the things, the reason that a lot of these guys invested in the ethanol plants was it was a way to diversify it. And if you had low corn prices, you know, you maybe had a situation where the ethanol plant was making money. Uh, but that's not, uh, like you say, it's a double whammy. And then we have the trade situation going on, which is, uh, you know, I think that, that, that the price problems that were caused more by uh, African swine fever than they were by the initial Chinese trade situation. But now, uh, because the, you know, 60% of the hogs have died in China, uh, the Chinese are buying hogs, uh, you know, for consumption. And we have a 65% tariff on hogs going into China, you know, so they're buying it from Europe and and Brazil and other places. And so it's like a triple whammy going on here. And and I've got a lot of farmers that are very concerned about where we're heading here. And I've got a lot of bankers that are very concerned about what's going to happen next winter. And they're telling me they think there's going to be a number of people that are not going to get financed. Uh, So I don't know how bad it's going to get, but it's, um, it's not a good situation. How is the timing of this difficult from the grower perspective? Well, you got, like I say, you got a lot of moving parts. But the other issue, last Wednesday when the secretary was in my district, the um, biggest applause line was a guy got up and criticized the uh, crop reports. 
and uh, basically said he thought that what they were putting out was complete nonsense. <laughs> he got a lot of applause. So you have a situation where we don't really know, we don't have a good handle on where this crop is at, uh, but you've got that situation going on as well, you know, and the whole thing just undermines the, the clarity of where we're heading with this market. You know, I don't know how you get the EPA back to where they need to be, but uh, it's not our jurisdiction. We can't really call them into our committee, but we're trying to get Energy and Commerce to get them in and do some oversight. I want to turn to the dollars and cents of it. Congressman, I'll ask this. From your position and where you sit with your district and the conversations that you've had with other members of the committee, what do you see as the economic position we're in right now in agriculture, and how suspect is that as we head toward the fall and the winter? Well, I think we're heading for some serious tough sledding, and I've said that for a while here. I don't other, know that other people see this at this point, uh, but uh, there aren't many other people around in Congress that have got the years of experience that I have in dealing with this stuff. You know, so I can see the warning signs out there. You know, and what I'm afraid of is what we're heading is a, some kind of a crisis situation this winter. And then what do we do at that point? You know, that the administration is, will have spent 28 billion dollars by this winter, and that's going to help somewhat. But I think the way they've doing the facilitation payments this time around, you know, uh, you're going to have people get significant amounts of money out of this that maybe you don't really need it all that bad, and the folks that are having trouble aren't going to get hardly anything out of it. So that's going to cause a lot of controversy, and uh, if we do have to try to make some kind of an effort to try to deal with this in the winter, you know, I don't know how we get the political support to do it, because I'm getting pushback from some of the members, not on the committee, but some of the other members, that, that there's all this welfare going to farmers, you know, from this administration. And uh, that, uh, I wouldn't characterize it that way, but that's what some people are saying. And uh, it's the whole thing is going to, you know, I think be a troubling situation this winter, I, I believe. The president has suggested that the MFP payments last year and even this year were in place to help make farmers whole. Are they whole? I think it depends on who you are. It may, it may have made some farmers whole, but others, uh, I don't think it's hitting where they need it. Uh, we don't know that for sure but I've asked my committee to give me, the staff to give me some of the information about the trade with China. And from the one thing that I saw from somebody, the, the amount of trade that we lost uh, with China was something like $10 billion. And, you know, the facilitation payments are 14 So I don't know if those numbers are true or not, but, um, you know, I, I can tell you this, that I'm going to have some farmers in the southern part of my district that have both hogs and crops that are going to get $250,000 from each of those tranches. So you're going to have some producers that are going to get $500,000 right to the bottom line. Uh, where some of my other farmers that I talk to are expecting to get like $20,000, $30,000, which, you know, helps, but is not going to bail anybody out. You know? So it, it kind of depends on who you are. I asked this question of Congressman Lucas last week, and both of you in the bipartisan fashion have brought us the, the 14 and the 18 farm bill, and we certainly salute your work. But we made a policy shift toward a risk management farm bill. 
and now over the past couple of years we're back to a payment situation uh, to help farmers through are we are we in dangerous water of, of upsetting what our ultimate goal was I think we are when I first heard about this last year I, I told the secretary I you know that this is something we have worked hard to eliminate these ad hoc payments for whatever reason whether it be disaster or whatever it is and I think it as I said earlier undermines us if we need to do something it's going to make it very much more difficult to get political support you know to respond to what the situation is Uh, again depending on who you are and what your situation is if you've got your farm paid for you've got all your equipment paid for and you haven't got any debt and you get uh, half a million dollars that's the bottom line you know that's probably going to put you in a pretty good situation but if you're a small farmer that's struggling the amount of money that's going to come from this is going to be not very helpful you know so i don't know i i they came up with this new idea this time to try to avoid planning decisions uh, according to them again i advised them against it i said well just wait till july 1st you know, you won't have to worry about it. But they went ahead with this, and uh, you know, you've got Becker County, where I live here, is uh, fifty-one dollars an acre, uh, and Hubbard County, right next door, it's seventy-nine dollars an acre. Uh, you know, we've got other counties that are at forty-one dollars an acre in Stearns County. You know, it's all over the map, uh, and you've got people asking questions about that. But, um, it, it, so it's the whole thing is, you know, setting up a political situation that I think could cause us problems. Some economists and have we, shared with me that, that they're just not sure we're going to be able to avoid a purge uh, in the industry, and maybe of some right. of those young and beginning producers that the industry really doesn't need to lose. That's And that's what I've been saying. I think that's where we're heading. And uh, as I said, the, the folks that have got, uh, you know, we've had some good years back you know in 12 13 in that area we had some really good years and people coasted on that for a while we've had some really good crops which have made up for the low prices but it depends on who you are and so if you're a new producer that started after the good years and you stay started in 14 and uh, you're trying to get a foothold here and build some equity uh, uh, that hasn't happened you know, and uh, you're, what you get out of this facilitation is not a heck of a lot. And the bankers looking at the future. I mean, I had one report come across my week a week ago from my office. Uh, some economist said he thinks we're looking at low prices for nine years into the future. Uh, it's uh, very troubling. And I said back last summer in the conference committee meetings that I thought that the safety net was not adequate that we were dealing with. But uh, Chairman Conaway and uh, Roberts said, well, we have no money, and so this is what we have to deal with, and, uh, you know, we got to get this bill done. And I agreed that we need to get it done, so we went ahead without any changes. But I, myself, felt that the safety net was not adequate to uh, help people stay, uh, stay the course in this thing. Mr. Chairman, I want to dip a toe into a very difficult situation if we can. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen an issue that is quite as polar as this trade war with China. Where do you see us now? Well, I don't see any good outcome for agriculture. I think uh, if they settle this, uh, certain parts of the economy may 
come out uh, ahead of where we were before we started. But you need to go back in history here. I opposed letting China into the WTO in the first place because we knew that all of these problems that the president is trying to solve uh, existed at the time. We knew that. And we let them into the WTO in spite of it. And basically gave them some exemptions on some of these things. And I had a lot of companies in my office saying, well, you know, you should support this because we have to get into the Chinese market. You know, we don't have any choice. You know, we can't let 1.4 billion consumers, uh, you know, off to the side. We have to get in there. Well, so we got in there. We let China, you know, in with their, you know, they're stealing intellectual property. They're requiring companies to give them 51% of their uh, equity and all this other stuff that they were doing. Uh, what ended up happening is it, we shipped a lot of jobs to China in manufacturing, basically. Uh, the people that took those jobs moved out of the countryside into town, made a little bit of money, and uh, we picked up that market. So I would argue that the agriculture were the ones that benefited from the Chinese uh, behaving the way they were. And I don't see... For agriculture, us coming out even as good as we were when we started. I think whatever we end up with here, we're going to be worse off than we were before we started in this situation. I just don't see any other outcome. Uh, we've undermined the confidence of the people over there. That's going to bound it to uh, have an effect. And, um, you know, so I have these farmers that think that somehow or another, if we make a China deal, everything is going to be sweetness and light i think they're kidding themselves congressman when you get back to work next month will the congress consider and will you be able to get the usmca across the finish line i think so the only thing i'm worried about is you know this what's going on between the president and the speaker has not been helpful she wants to get this done i think she's uh you know, working to try to build democratic support and uh, figure out how to get this across the finish line. But uh, having her and the president crossways on things is not helpful. Have you and the speaker spoken about the issue, and and, and could you share anything yes. of that conversation? Yes. Well, I don't want to. I mean, she she wants. I think she wants to get this done. She knows it needs to get done. And uh, you know, he's. Um, uh, you know, they've talked to her and the president, and I, I don't know what those conversations are, but I think she's she set up these working groups. Uh, Richie Neal, Blumenauer, those guys that have jurisdiction are working to try to get this done. I'd like to finish with a, a thought here, if we could. Uh, obviously, the Green New Deal drew a lot of energy and negative energy from agriculture. Uh, I understand that Illinois Congresswoman Bustos has been working on an alternative to the Green New Deal, that doesn't make agriculture a villain and, in fact, allows agriculture to be a part of the solution. Are you aware of that plan, and, and uh, what are the parameters of it that would that would uh, make it more appeasing to you? I am not aware of it, and I am skeptical, uh, because I got drug into the uh, cap-and-trade situation the uh, last time we dealt with this, and... Uh, even though I didn't want to, and, uh, you know, I work with agriculture, I was said, well, bring us uh, what ag is concerned about. So we brought 49 things to the table to Waxman, 
the end of the day, Waxman gave us all 49 things, and then agriculture was still opposed to it. So I don't, I don't see a way, uh, you know, uh, you see how the EPA is operating, you know, how the Fish and Wildlife Service is operating, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, some of these other agencies, uh, I don't care what kind of stuff you put in the, in the legislation, by the time they get done making the rules, they're going to be off doing stuff that you never thought they would do, like what the EPA is doing with the RFS. So I don't have a lot of confidence, and uh, I don't think there's enough science here, enough uh, public support for us to be moving, because we don't, really don't know what we're doing. And we, we need to figure out what we're doing before we move. When you get back to work in September, there'll be a lot going on. Uh, and in the midst of time in the district, uh, Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you so much for coming back and spending time with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you get the last word today. Well, I hope this rain continues a little bit longer than this morning. We could use it. Uh, I hope the rest of uh, you guys that are dry get some good slow-soaking rains, too. That'll help uh, the situation. Our thanks to Minnesota 7th District Representative and Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.